0: Back to the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And
1: I am Josh Hallman.
0: And I am definitely present right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As a (laughs) reminder, Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This podcast is just one of the many initiatives that we do. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. We're gonna announce, you know, upcoming networking events, or we have cool interviews that we're doing <laughs> <laughs> with variety of industry professionals. So all of that you can find when you subscribe. Yeah. Um, or you can also follow us at act2writers at Instagram and Twitter, and you can get that information there as well. I'm also on those things. I'm Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter.
1: I'm Josh Hallman on Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. And um, I'm excited for today's episode, Tasha. Are you? I am. We had, I mean, this is between us and now everybody, but we, you know, we've <laughs> talked about having one guest on per month, kind of break break us up a little bit here.
0: Yeah. So we don't have to do all the talking. Mm-hmm.
1: That's correct. And so someone may or may not have canceled on us like two minutes ago. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so flying by the seat of our pants today. So
1: that's happening. But yeah, we are going to have some cool guests on. This is going to be great. Like. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited. And we're going to have a mixer, a Los Angeles mixer.
0: I know. It's going to be great. In-person meetings, seeing other writers. Yeah. Amazing.
1: So we have a lot to cover today. Before we do, I just want to say something. It's about a movie. Okay. It's, it's sort of this week in writing. It's about the movie The Atom Project.
0: Yeah. Am I've I- not seen it yet, but I'm really excited to.
1: Oh, really? I guess what I'll just say is, first of all, I loved it. And I was it got me as I was watching it, it got me thinking about like the influence of Steven Spielberg films, even yeah. like I was thinking of Back to the Future even though he didn't direct it. I was thinking of The Goonies, even though he didn't direct it. But those movies kind of feel like Spielbergian films. Right? Yeah.
0: I often watch them and are like, wait, did Spielberg direct this? No. Yeah. I have to like check myself.
1: Yeah. And I was it's like that. It's so crazy because it's like a like an Amblin genre of movie. I, it's hard yeah. to explain, but that kind of that movie from a kid's perspective and there's a lightheartedness to it. There's a lightness to it, but there's also a lot of heart to it. And that's what the Adam project is. And I feel like Mm -hmm. you should take a, you should watch it. I I cried naturally. Oh, you know, once, once (laughs) the father son story starts happening.
0: Oh, forget about it.
1: Just start wiping my eyes.
0: That's one of the most Joshian movies that has come out in a while.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and I, and I loved it.
0: Can you imagine getting to a stage in your career where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a really like Joshian film? You know, it's like you, you've you created a genre yourself. Like Spielberg created an Amblin. People say Amblin-esque yeah. as an adjective all the time. And everyone knows what that means.
1: <laughs> no, totally. In my head, there is like a Joshian kind of like universe that no one Actually, else knows <laughs> about.
0: It kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> but when it hits everyone's gonna love it.
1: <laughs> it just and there there's also like the tashian tasha yin tasha yeah the verse. <laughs> yeah no but there's there's movies i see that i'm like oh that's such a tasha film like yeah you could just have written this directed it yeah everything. same
0: actually yeah um, well it's cool we have a we have a style we have a brand we do people just don't know it yet <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's there once all the once you step back and you connect all the dots it'll it'll all make sense
0: yeah okay well That's then all. can i can i do a, a this week in writing movie that i saw this week sure turning red
1: yeah i a saw pixar it. Pixar movie mm-hmm.
0: it's very fun does mm-hmm. not feel like a pixar movie it was something that all last night like we were trying to fall asleep and then i would suddenly like wake paul up and i would be like we have to talk about this. So like, <laughs> did you like it even though you were a man? And he's like, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really great. I'm like, okay, okay. And then he'd like go to sleep and I'd shake him up and I'd be like, okay, but like, this is a really specific movie, right? <laughs> like like yeah. Pixar has never been kind of so specific about its POV until now. It's usually been quite general. Yeah. And I was like, is that bad or is that good? Or neither. There's, there's a, Is there a gray area? And I just think it's, really interesting because I think a lot of people online that you see who are complaining about this movie are complaining because it speaks to a very specific experience in this case a 13 year old girl's experience yeah and I mean her her sort of Asian culture comes into play but to me like the specificity that I bumped against the most was that it was just like so in the head of a 13 year old girl Mm -hmm. and it didn't even though kids have been in Pixar movies up till this point, of course, like it's never felt like the movie was from specifically their POV. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting shift that I have. All I have to say is that it's interesting. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Obviously the movie probably wasn't I, first of all, I really enjoyed it. I watched Mm -hmm. it with my young daughter. Who's not 13. God help me, but like <laughs> she she's she's a she just really liked the movie and she also happens to really love pandas. That's her favorite animal. Yes. But it really felt like a kids movie. And that's really weird to say because Pixar movies, you know, they have talking fish, fishes, yes. and talking toys <laughs> and like unicorns and this and that and ants and whatever. But for some reason, this movie at least for me, it was like, "Oh yeah, this this definitely has a little bit more of a kid vibe."
0: Yeah. And Josh and I were talking about this because we love Pixar and we kind of update each other every time we see one. Uh But, like, I feel like maybe the kid POV comes from the breaking the fourth wall and just having the 13 year old literally talking to the audience. Mm -hmm. And that's actually interesting because we're going to talk about POV later in this when we talk about like a script I read recently. But the POV comes through so strongly because she's literally talking to the audience about her 13-year-old brain and what's going on in her head. And so suddenly I'm in that POV instead of something like Brave or Coco, where there's a there's a slight distance right in watching those movies somehow yeah. because we're not completely in their head, but we're empathizing with their journey, which is different.
1: Yeah. And I was actually thinking in the movie Inside Out how it was obviously... Sort of from a girl, but or I mean, like a, a, a young, young girl, but also the thoughts in her head were adults.
0: Yeah, they were.
1: Which, that, that, I mean, that that's one of Inside Out's one of like my all time favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, from Pixar.
0: What Was another one that we, we mentioned. There's Brave, there's Coco. There's,
1: there's probably a lot more than.
0: I feel you like Onward realize. is all, they're also kids. Yeah. But yeah, they never felt like kids' movies until this one, which is interesting. I didn't hate it. I don't I, love it. It was well, not my favorite Pixar movie.
1: No, no, no. By the way, I just love Coco. I want you to rewatch Coco.
0: I've rewatched it since and feel better about it. I don't know if I'll ever love it.
1: Let's One go. day we're gonna do a definitive Pixar rating of all of our favorite Pixar films. Like okay. we'll, we'll think, damn we should have done this. <laughs> we'll
0: have to break down some Pixar movies. They're they're pretty, oh, pretty amazing writing wise. Oh my god, I love Pixar. Um Okay. Should we move on to, like, the more meaty?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Okay, so this week I sent Josh this nepotism pyramid that appeared online, which I, like, almost don't even want to talk about to, like, give it the time of day. Mm-hmm. But it angered me so much that this opinion exists out in the world that we had to talk about it.
1: Yeah. Right? People, we
0: have to talk about we it.
1: We have to talk about it. And people get riled up on I mean, we're kind of talking about screenwriting Twitter here today. Let's yeah. just be honest. Like there's things that kind of come up that people just get worked up about. And so Including kind of-
0: myself this time. Like I'm one of the people who, gets, who got worked up this time. <laughs> because I don't like people sending negative messages to young writers that are not true. Because it's hard enough to get your mind in the game and to feel like you can do this job and to feel – Positive about this job that you don't need people who don't know anything adding fuel to that fire.
1: Yeah. Okay. 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 I like, where, I love where your energy's at right now. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. So, this guy, in response to this woman who is a PA, it looks like on some movies or some TV shows, it's unclear. Mm-hmm. She posted that she grew up poor. And she was just complaining, rightly so, about the cost of screenwriting contests and how it's a very frustrating barrier for her for entry into the business. And that's something we talk about on this podcast all the time, how contests are a very viable entry point to becoming a repped screenwriter and a writer who gets seen by producers. But she's not wrong that you have to pay to do these things. And as someone who has worked on a assistant salary... It's a lot of money to have to spend and dedicate. And it's one of those rare jobs that we have where, like, after college, you still have to keep spending money to, like, enter this business. And that feels like a scam. So, anyways, that's a whole other conversation. Mm. So, this guy responds out of nowhere to this woman with a pyramid that he invented himself. And (laughs) he even calls it his own name. And I'm not, I'm not going to give him <laughs> props for this.
1: Oh, okay. You know what? I was going to just say who this guy was or is, but you know what? Let's not do it. If you don't want to give him props, no. his name's Andrew Pearson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you fucking posted
1: on Twitter. What am I saying? You know, okay.
0: I mean, okay. Yeah. It's
1: called the Pearsonian, right? The
0: Yeah. He named Pearson- it after himself personian hierarchy of needs for screenwriting success which this guy like i don't even i don't even know what well he he he's like an analytics guy or something i don't know he's not in the business as far as you know a, a very brief google search uh, told me is but tr- this pyramid
1: is he trolling us is this was do you think this was a joke or do you think he really means this
0: i hope it was a joke
1: well, it got people worked up, so we have to. We have it got
0: to. me worked up because I've heard this argument before. Okay. So, if it's a joke, I'm sorry, Andrew, that I'm taking it so seriously. And yes, you've successfully trolled me. But also to all the people who believe this, mm-hmm. okay? Like, so, as pyramid, the the biggest part of the pyramid, uh, meaning the thing that's most important for screenwriting success, is nepotistic connections, followed by industry connections followed by dumb luck, followed by fortuitous timing, followed by fate, and a tiny little bit at the very top of the pyramid that means the least is talent. And mm. I got very worked up by this, as you can tell.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you
0: did. So Josh, why does this pyramid suck?
1: Well, I mean, it doesn't make much sense, right? Like He's basically saying talent is the least important aspect of screenwriting success.
0: And I think from the outside, that is an opinion that many people have. And I think back to when I got my first job, and it wasn't even a paid job. So basically, I was working as an assistant at Universal at the time, and because of a program I applied to through the Blacklist website, Mm -hmm. I got a blind deal at Warner Brothers.
1: Okay. Something just clicked in my head, but I have to just, I have to say something. Uh huh. I was like why why who cares about this stupid fucking pyramid like why is this guy doing this to us why is it why am I getting worked up and what what you just said is absolutely correct is like there is the idea that nepotism and who you know and connections will guarantee you success in the entertainment industry yeah. and I think that just really triggered you me right now in real time <laughs> and and other people and I think that's that's that So that's why I wasn't fully present there for a second, because I was trying to evaluate trying my Trying to wrap
0: emotions. your mind around yeah. why this feels important.
1: The, the note behind the note is that the, everyone thinks you can just have connections when you come out to Hollywood and you can get ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, what angers me is the flip side that writers who are coming up get discouraged by this because they think they can't do it unless they have connections. Mm-hmm. And I just need everyone to know that that is not the case. So- I'm going to go back to my story because you cut me off.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when I was working at Universal, I got this blind deal at Warner Brothers and they they posted it on like Variety. And a blind deal does not mean you get money. A blind deal means it could take me years to pitch something that Warner Brothers wants to make before they'll ever pay me. So it's not like I had money in the bag regardless. So they they posted on Variety or something because Blacklist wanted to promote that this program exists. And all of the comments on Variety and on Deadline were all that, oh, you see that this girl has been working at Universal. She clearly has connections and that's why she got this job. And I was so shocked by that, that that was such a weird interpretation of events. And so that's why this is triggering me (laughs) because of that. And what was, I mean, what's so interesting is that obviously from a completely third party standpoint, someone who works at Universal, who then gets a deal at a studio seems like oh because she knew people because she's been working at studios so I graduated from my master's degree in screenwriting in 2006 I got my job at universal in 2009 so it took me that long to even just like get a job in the industry Mm -hmm. and then it took me an extra five years to get the blind deal I was hustling right and part of that hustle is getting a job in the industry so you learn the industry. But my network connections did not get me that job. My script got me that job. The money I threw into the blacklist got me that job. All the meetings I took t- got me that job. Like right. I just it I am very triggered.
1: Right no, now. <laughs> as you should be. I mean yeah, I, I I don't know, it's hard to wrap your head around, but yeah, people just I think they need to kind of go in that direction to make themselves feel better and be like, clearly she knew somebody like that's why I wasn't the person who won.
0: Yeah.
1: Like it, it's not that you were better than me. It's that you knew people.
0: Yeah. Look, I've had that thought in my most down times when i see people <laughs> on deadline, I'm like, who did they know? <sighs> they were able to, cause I'm a, I'm a good writer too, but it's yeah. just, that's just the spiral that you go into. Right. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Or yeah why Josh made me bring it up because I do feel like it's important to officially say on the active podcast that our opinion is absolutely not that you need connection nepotism connections what you do need is to network you need to learn how to meet producers you need to like you need to meet people in your industry <laughs> right. like that's part of being in the industry right um but also the beauty of this business and how crazy it is is you can be a like so- Someone from Idaho living in your mom's basement. You win a contest, and suddenly you're a TV writer. Like that can happen, and that's insane.
1: Is there a problem with my mom's basement? <laughs> <laughs> but you're sorry. Absolutely I always right. use <laughs> that as an example. Mom's
0: basement, I'm sure, is awesome.
1: Um, I don't live in my mom's basement, for the record. <laughs> yeah, this is. I love the entertainment industry. I love that you're so fired up about this in particular, because it, it may, like it, it excites me because I'm the one who usually gets real fired up about these things.
0: And I'm like know, yelling. It's true.
1: But we, yeah, nepotism, uh, like it it only goes so far. Like that's the thing.
0: A hundred percent.
1: And going back to what you said about having like the connections and networking, I actually, I might've been on Twitter. I can't even remember someone had said this. Like, this is like, yeah, Twitter centric episode, but someone was like, Everyone talks about the idea of having to move to Los Angeles. Do you have to move to LA? Mm -hmm. Of course, you don't have to move to LA. And of course, there's outliers. However, the benefit of moving to LA is when you get here and you go out and you meet people like how I know you and we know Dave and we know our writers group. It's like you build this community of people that are supportive with each other and keep you up when the times are really fucking difficult. And yes, they will put you in contact with other friends that they know. If you, are, it's like, if we're comfortable enough to do that, so it's really important to kind of create that foundation, and that's where like the network comes from. It comes from the hustle.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like, for example, like I introduced you to Jay Z, right? We all know the story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is confirmed.
0: <laughs> Could that be conceived as a nepotistic connection? I don't think so, because the reason why I know jay-z is because i've hustled in this business for a long time met Mm -hmm. a ton of people did the legwork to meet all of the people over many many years to the point where i met jay-z and learned about him and learned about his managing style and then knowing you for a long time knowing your writing and your skill and your abilities i was like oh this is a talented person again talent was the key word he should meet jay-z the i like If you weren't talented and I just knew you, I'm not gonna introduce you to someone. Like, talent is absolutely the bottom of the pyramid, the biggest part of this job, as is hard work. And this guy puts like dumb luck, fortuitous timing in there. Fate. All of those things don't matter unless you have the talent and the hard work behind it, anyways.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, right. Like, even with Jay Z, and when I met with Jay Z, our first meeting, it wasn't like a slam dunk of like, we need to work together. It was kind of like, we felt each other out. He read a couple things of mine and I was coming out of a bad relationship with another manager. And so Mm -hmm. we were both, the the point that I'm getting at is just because you introduced us doesn't mean that it was a sure thing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, no one likes to have someone forced on them. Like, when does that ever really work where someone, where if I'm like, Hey, executive, you need to help out my niece. Here she is. Yes. Get her a job.
0: What does that work? That feels rare in this. It happens. Of course it happens. it happens. It happens in any industry. Another thing comes to mind of like Mickey Fisher's story. And he we had him on the podcast talking about his origin story. And I was talking about how from a third party point of view, reading the stories about him and learning about his myth coming coming out of seemingly nowhere – um, he just got Spielberg attached to his first ever script. And I, yeah. I was like, well, that like that sounds like, again, uh, dumb luck. It sounds like whatever, fate, all those things. But when you talk to Mickey about his experience, he talks about the many, many years of hard work he has put into writing scripts mm-hmm. and how at the end of the day, his agents pass the script on to Spielberg because they believed so much in the talent behind the script and the good writing. That's not nepotism. And I think what gets confused is that people mistake hard work creating opportunities, which seems like dumb luck, for dumb luck. But if you don't have the hard work that creates the opportunities, then you don't have the dumb luck aspect.
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to also say there's no question that fate and luck, they come into play in scenarios. And I think people... Not always, but I think people like to point to that, and people like to see that, you know, there's some kind of uh, connection. Oh, that was nepotism, and that was luck, and like people really cling to that, but they tend to ignore the countless, countless hours you spend alone writing in the dark by yourself, depressed, losing friendships, losing relationships, and just grinding away (laughs) because you know, you know that you're doing what you love. I clearly am speaking for myself here in that scenario.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> are you okay? Do you need something?
1: I, you know what? I'm okay. I was just having this conversation recently with someone about the entertainment industry and she's doing really fine for herself and we talked about how taxing it is, how the entertainment industry is so taxing on relationships and a lot of people mm. don't and I mean, I'm not talking about like uh, intimate relationships. I'm talking well, across the board, friendships and everything because a lot of times Executives, assistants, agents, whoever, they're going to stay in on a weekend. They're going to read a script or they're going to read 10 scripts. They're not going to see you. They're not, they're going to just keep grinding and grinding and grinding. Writers on deadlines, directors, like all these things, you become mm-hmm. isolated. And I've been, personally been in a scenario where I've friends have been like, What's your deal? Like, where are you? And it's just because I'm mm-hmm. working, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm really going all around the board here. Uh, but
0: no, I think that's a really good point. Last thing I'll say about this. (laughs) So I am writing a movie right now that came about seemingly from dumb luck, but I think this is a really great example Uh. of how, again, your why talent and like hard work are the bottom of the pyramid to create seemingly dumb luck. So there is this book that is one of my favorite books of all time. For years, I've wanted to adapt it. Years and years ago, I went to a company who who had the rights to it, specifically like got my agents to set me up on a meeting with them and tried to write the, the movie. And they were like, fuck off, Tasha. Who are you? We don't know you. Cool. So years later, <laughs> I'm now further along in my career at a much stronger foundation, I would mm-hmm. say, to be able to write these kinds of movies and I was like, I'm curious where the rights are now. Because in this industry, rights get turned over constantly. So I decide to write a letter to the author of this book that I love to just be like, hey, this is who I am. This is why I love your book. I would love to adapt it. What are what is the right situation? And it just so happened that the rights were available, or that they had been freed from the previous company. And they were now in the process of finding a new writer to write the movie. Like literally as my letter got into this author, that's what, what stage of the development process they were in. Yeah. But it wasn't like, cool, now Tasha has the job. It was, okay, let's read her script. Okay, her script's good. We really like the script. Let's meet with her. And then I had a series of like five to six meetings with various executives to be vetted for this job. So I had to be able to talk intelligently about the story, about what I loved about it, pitch my idea for it. Uh, I had to be smart about story to these people to impress them. I had to do all this hard work to then get the job. But again, it seems like, oh, it's Kismet, it was just fate. But there's all this hard work that goes behind it that you don't see is just my point. And that's the last thing I'll say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: All right. Well, I feel like I just wanted to say one more thing, but uh, we should move on. <laughs> We should just we should move on to the next thing.
0: <laughs> bring it. No, bring it.
1: <laughs> there is an element to luck in certain scenarios. I just want to say that. I've I've talked to people who've been like, wow, I went out for drinks. And guess who I ran into? The director for the, like, the perfect director yeah, yeah. who I want on my movie. And I was able to slip them the script.
0: But again, the script has to be good.
1: But again, the script has to be good. So th- it all kind of comes together. It does. And, and this isn't a fucking... Pyramid, it is like the 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 like the empty wilderness and things are like fragments yeah, are out like there in a and pollock to,
0: painting. A <laughs> a
1: pollock painting. But, <laughs> yes. That's right. You're going on a fucking treasure hunt in the middle of a pollock painting and you're trying to put it together so it looks like something beautiful.
0: So that is that I mean done. End of podcast. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> okay. All right, let, let's move on before. I, you know, I need to stop sweating. So <laughs> let's move on to something less aggravating. Okay. Oh no, their next topic is not <laughs> less aggravating. <laughs> the next topic is about how yeah. right now so many writers are coming up on Twitter talking about how the industry is impossible right now.
1: Yeah, even outside of Twitter, although it's, in, it's natural for writers to complain, <laughs> you know, and just yes. talk about what's not working. And to have a lot
0: of anxiety. And to have a lot
1: of (laughs) anxiety. It does seem like an abnormal amount of people are really having a really tough time.
0: High-level people, too.
1: High-level people. And I don't know what to think of it. I don't know what to think of it.
0: Even as you're talking about this, Josh, I feel like for every Glenn Mazzara who posts about, I didn't sell my thing, and and I don't know why... There's another writer whom I've never heard of who's like, I just sold a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, is it just as hard as it's always been? Yeah, and people I'll, are just taking to Twitter to talk about their failures more? I don't I do know. Wonder if,
1: I do wonder if it's that because I will tell you, in my experience, I love Hollywood. You know that. I do. But it's really fucking hard. And so when I see people saying like, it's hard or like really hard and it's it's dark times – in my head, it's already been there. So it's yeah. like, welcome <laughs> to the fucking party, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're not wrong, obviously. I feel like it's always hard. I, yeah. I we were kind of talking about this before, how I tried to sell a pitch recently. I mean, I guess this year, last year, and it had some really great attachments to it, a solid story. The, pro- the production company spent a lot of money to get like a really cool visual pitch deck together that we shared during the Zoom pitch that was really impressive. They also paid an editor money to edit a short trailer together, which is not cheap to do. So they put a lot of money behind trying to sell this thing. And again, we had some A-list names attached to it um, at-, at the showrunner level, as well as the producer level and potentially director level as well, if the project sold. And we still didn't sell it. And it was, it was like, oh, it is really hard out there. Again, it's always really hard out there. But I yeah. think something that is cropping up uniquely in the last couple years is that with COVID, the only thing companies could do is develop. So they have this huge slate of stuff they've thrown money at during the pandemic that they couldn't shoot that now they have to sort through, figure out what to move forward, to continue spending money on, what to do kill and stop spending money on and what our budget is now to buy new material like I think everyone is just doing kind of a gut check on their purse strings right now yeah is my guess but I also agree that it's just always hard
1: yeah it is always hard it might be I mean by the way the world in general is in weird times like there's there's weird things going on and it makes people unsettled and it yeah there's just stuff happening in the world that Right, that we just can't predict. Do You know what I mean? I think
0: we should contextualize this with saying how you woke me up this morning with a text about a computer that predicted the end of the world <laughs> within our lifetime. <laughs> so <laughs> this is where we're at right now.
1: I have to say, even through all of this, I'm still optimistic.
0: It's I've- I love that about you because you I, are.
1: I don't think the world is going to end because of this fucking computer after rereading the article a couple times because, you know, <laughs> a couple
0: times. <laughs> <laughs> and, Doing notes, highlighting certain aspects. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was, like, thought about it. The entertainment industry, I think we're going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. Okay. I'm going to make sure it gets figured out.
0: Okay. I believe in you.
1: All right, let's get off of that topic. Okay. And let's talk about something that's really important, Tasha. Yeah. POV in scripts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I I read a script this week that I really enjoyed. It was a really good story with excellent structure, great arcs. And I finished it and I was like – why don't I love this script? I should love it. It has everything that I love. Why don't I love it? And I realized it was because there was no voice in the script and no POV. Um, and this was just a, a random spec that I picked up because we like to educate ourselves every now and again and read other people's stuff so that we can just see what's out there and and learn from them. And it boiled down to... very kind of mechanical aspect again this person had structure down like they had dialogue great it was in the action descriptions that there was a lack of voice and I felt like the thing that could make an executive put this script down and not care about it existed solely in the way this person was writing their action description Mm -hmm. and that was like a huge sort of light for me I think because while. We sort of know that intuitively or we talk about this intuitively a lot. The like just the the clarity of the image of a producer being like, no, this is kind of boring or this is kind of everyday." became very clear because it wasn't the script's fault. It wasn't, it's not an everyday script. It's literally just in the way they executed action description. And so, I mean, I think we should talk about that because you're very excellent at talking to the audience in your scripts. And you, like, you'll have such a converse. the way you talk on this podcast, like you'll have that conversational tone in your script and it works for your like fun action movies. And I think that that's just a really important piece that maybe people miss, maybe especially like newer writers coming up think that you just kind of have to and we by the way they teach this in schools which is totally wrong that you it is not your obligation or job as a screenwriter to um sort of direct a scene right or to add personality like you're meant to just be a blueprint and that's it blueprint for the director and i think that's how it used to be yeah that's not anymore bring your personality Okay, I'll you, shut
1: up now. No, no, no. That I think that's totally right. You have to bring your personality. And I, yeah, it, it is weird though, because I, th- I thought that everyone kind of knew that. And I have seen and heard from people who still have talked about being like, you know, if they submit their script on the blacklist or um, wherever, they're getting notes back. And it's like, you know, you have to address a script in a certain way. Don't say we, don't say. Yeah, uh, we pan over to see this, or what you know? Don't direct the reader, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this has been said a million times. I, I mean, like I personally believe that to be just totally bullshit. Like, yeah, completely and in- yeah, especially with action films, and I think where you're writing description where like the tone fits within the 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 tone of the. Yeah. Actually, Dave once, I think Dave mentioned to me that he might have read, I forget what script he said. I thought it was like Annabelle. There was something like a very terrifying movie mm-hmm. where the description of the movie actually was very uh, light in the sense where it was like, mm. jump scare, like you sh- you're going to be mm-hmm. scared right here. And it, it's these things that you just don't think you should do.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting.
1: Yeah, so you have, I, I mean, in all scripts, I think now more than ever, especially when attention is like the most important thing, probably in the entire world, you know, they, everyone's yeah. vying for someone's attention. You can look at your phone, you can look at your computer, your TV, or yeah. your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your whoever, you know, like no one has attention spans. You have to figure out ways to yeah. keep people engaged.
0: And I'm always mad when my manager is like, we have to do a pass on the read, And this word here, like she'll literally say like this word here caught me up and Mm. it'll catch someone up in the read. And I'm like, I don't want to address that note. That's a stupid, stupid note. That's not my responsibility to fix. It's the reader's responsibility to be a good reader. But there is a gray area where you do have to make the read engaging because again, these execs are reading, as you said, 20 scripts over a weekend um, and probably only reading the first couple pages before they decide to pass on the script. And so if you're engaging in those first five pages, they're going to choose to continue to read your script instead of hop to the next one. And something I also noticed in this person's script, and it's a, this applies to voice as well, they go hand in hand, is the POV within a scene. So this person had a very clear hero in their script, but I noticed that when they would write a scene, they wouldn't write it from that hero's POV. Meaning... If we went into the mall and there was we went into the store in the mall, the writer just wrote that there are like these two characters are in the mall looking at a sweater Mm -hmm. and then Jake walks in and starts talking. It's like, well, Jake is your hero, Mm -hmm. so you should follow Jake through the mall you don't have to do that scene, but you should follow Jake as he comes into that store, mm-hmm. sees his two friends talking over a sweater. You don't start the scene with two people talking about a sweater if those aren't your main characters. Does that make sense? So, like, and, what, and why that's important is that when I'm reading it, just the way I'm reading a novel or anything like that, when I'm reading something from Jake's POV, who's my hero, then I'm engaged. I'm invested. Yeah. I'm empathetic to Jake because I'm seeing this world through his eyes versus just telling me what a scene is doing. 100%. And that's, that's about voice.
1: Yeah. and I, I definitely think there's different tiers to this, right? Like if you've been paid to write something, someone's going to read your script no matter what. So they're probably not putting that script down. But then if we're talking <laughs> like, you know, if you have a producer or you're trying to get a producer to read something then you haven't been paid yet, or you're trying to get representation, you're trying to get a manager, you're trying to get an agent, you're writing a spec. That definitely is territory where you have to really be aware of, in my opinion, like, how engaging is this read? Yeah. I think. And for the record, let me just say, there are countless examples that contradict exactly what I'm saying. Like yeah. there are people who just are, they, they have mastered a story and here's what the story is. It is a blueprint and is written as with no character whatsoever. I'm yeah. just saying, in my opinion, you got to have some character, some voice.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, that's what's so hard about this industry <laughs> and having a podcast about this industry is that there's always an exception to every rule. 100%. We talk about.
1: Well, that's why we ta- have the podcast to work through all this shit.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: I'm going to make a pyramid about um, what <laughs> you need to do in a script.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I will rage tweet about it. <laughs> Don't you tell me what I could do. <laughs> On the
1: bottom, the, the base of it. Voice. At the top it'll be like character, like that's the oh, least shit. important thing.
0: Theme. <laughs> theme. <laughs> You're tone, gonna piss me off if you character. make theme the smallest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> theme. Eh, people theme is whatever you want it to be after you finish reading. Oh, shit. <laughs> I just want to say that Dave and I, and well, we've been doing something where Dave and I have been writing and you know what's going on about it because we had a writer's group about it. But yeah, Dave and I, before we met with you yesterday, we were like hey, we should probably figure out the theme because Tasha's really going to grill us on it. And then we couldn't figure out. I actually
0: noticed that. So Josh and Dave are writing a script together and they bring me in every every, once a week and we just kind of brainstorm kind of writer's group it or writer's room it. And uh, we all work off of Milanote. And there is a Milanote column (laughs) that just said theme and there was nothing under it. It was the only (laughs) column with nothing under it. And it took a lot for me to not say anything.
1: Yeah, Dave was like, "Hey, we got to we got to figure this out for Tasha," and I think we couldn't do it. And I was like, "Well, we'll be fine. We'll handle it."
0: By the end of it, though, we had a theme. We
1: did have a theme. I think part of it was I like, couldn't
0: leave without having a theme. You
1: no, know, Tasha's gonna figure this out for us. Let's just put a pin in this.
0: Oh man, well, yeah. Have we done an episode on theme yet?
1: No, every time I've brought it up, you've been like, oh, 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 oh no, no, no. <laughs> this is gonna That's be right. like a three-hour episode.
0: Yeah, I have to do yeah, I have to do a lot of notes on this. <laughs> yeah, theme, if you don't know, is uh is my baby. It, it <laughs> we is talk about theme constantly. It is your
1: baby. You used to when like you first had your baby, remember you'd be like, What's your theme? Look at my theme. <laughs> like take pictures of my theme. <laughs>
0: It's like fucking taja shut up.
1: <laughs> but it checked me. It checked everyone because we were like, damn, we don't have themes. Themes are really important because they they're in the fabric of every uh every scene, basically.
0: What is your movie about? Why am I even watching this movie?
1: Yeah.
0: If you don't know, I'm not gonna know. All right, don't get me started. We're gonna have to do the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Quote of the day. All good ideas start out as bad ideas. That's why it takes so long. Steven Spielberg. Oh. I like to throw a Steven Spielberg quote in every now and again just to make you happy.
1: <laughs> I, I love it. Love it so much.
0: Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0.
1: Me, Josh Hallman, and Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter.
0: And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414beg, which you can find on Spotify.